Raw Not Research, Real Life Stories. Philips at that time was a very boring company. Now it is very exciting, but then it was very boring. And being an accountant in itself was also, to me, very boring. Yeah. So it was double boring. And <laughs> so after two years, yeah, it was it was actually terrible, you know. And after two years in Philips, I went to my manager and I said, you know, I I I I this is this is unbearable for me. I will I'm leaving. And I shook his hand and I walked out of his office and I went back home. Yeah. And that was a shocking uh, moment for also for Philips because uh, you didn't leave like that. Just yeah. walk out of the building and go home. What's your, What's life, your story? life story? Welcome to Inspirational Interviews, where you'll discover everyday brave hearts connecting with their truth. Find out what inspires them to do what they love, how they got here, and why they never give up. Be inspired by these stories to create your beautiful world. Raw, not researched, real life stories with your host, Jen Rod. guys welcome back to inspirational interviews uh super excited about today's conversation with lane savenbergen uh lane is just yeah just a really well versed and informed uh person when it comes to business and doing business for good and if any of you are thinking about starting a business or are interested in business and interested also in uh, business for the greater good of our community, of the world, and just our fellow human, then this is just a really cool psychology to get into and, yeah, just to, to get informed um, about a world where people are actually going out there creating businesses for good. So guys, before we click into that, go subscribe on the website and once a week you'll just receive a super cool life story in your mailbox. Uh, share this on with friends. Sharing is caring. We're living in a world where we get, um, yeah, just inundated with all this, you know, irrelevant short input and it just doesn't bring us any joy or already any any depth you know to our soul and these stories do you know they they bring a sense of connection the sense of um yeah oneness you know when you listen to someone's life story their story doesn't have to be like your own but you can find a connection with that other human being you know based on the reasons why they do things um even though the things are different but there's always these connections in these stories and you know play them in the background and go get things done and um yeah so if you know anyone who could benefit from just a yeah, a healthy distraction, a positive distraction, then send this on, share the website with them or, or, or share a particular story that's had an impact on you with them. Uh, sharing is caring, as I always say. And yeah, it's just, it's super cool to be a part of a community where people are really going out there and striving to connect with truth. If you are on Instagram, go link with me there, Inspirational Interviews, or you can also search Jen Rod, but um, Inspirational Interviews is always a winner. Also on Facebook, Inspirational Interviews, LinkedIn as well, if that's your vibe. So yeah, guys, find me on these uh, social media platforms as well. And if you have listened to a show, let me know. I always respond pretty quickly. 
And um, yeah, I really enjoy hearing from you. And if there's any story that you've heard that you really enjoy or want to ask a question about, then just send me an email, uh, which you can find on my website, which also leads me to, uh, if you are needing an interviewer, let me know via the website um, under Book Me. And guys, I offer these uh, sort of um, mirroring sessions where I give people the opportunity to share their story with me. And I just really listen to it, but I listen on on a very deep level where I'm able to ask questions um, which help you to, you know, really reflect deep within your own story. And uh, what's nice about it is just a very subtle coaching session, should we say, um, but extremely reflective. And um, yeah, and, and in many cases, even a lot of the people I've had on the show have changed what they've been doing, actually, uh, based on just a, a really good um, heartfelt, non-judgmental, um, deep conversation. So if you need that, then go onto the website and yeah, we can see what we can do for you there. It's very cool. And we, we, you know, we do it online as well. So guys, without any further ado, let's give a warm cyber welcome for Lane Zavenbergen. Let's just go in from that point really. And, um, let's tell our listeners who you are and, um, I guess let's start with the connection with B Corp or B Lab. Yeah. Um, well, the B Corp uh, movement, uh, which has grown very rapidly and is now in an exponential growth, mm-hmm. basically, is um, uh, is consisting out of a, a, a special type of companies. You know, companies that don't put the shareholder. Uh, principle first, but talk about uh, stakeholders Mm -hmm. and all stakeholders, including the shareholders and including nature, as we always say. And uh, and the slogan that the B Corps use is business as a force for good. Uh, Those companies know that they are radically interdependent uh, in order to solve the the big challenges that we have uh, on the, on this planet. And, um, I found it, uh, I co-created or co-founded the B Corp movement for Europe in 2013. And now we have, uh, in the whole Europe, we have about 850 B Corps and uh, small companies, mid-size and big companies. And, um, um, yeah, that is, um, uh, I'm a board member of that. I have been the chairman and the founder for a long time and, uh, uh, and and the challenge that we now have in the B Corp movement is uh, how can we certify uh, all the companies that want to become a B Corp? Yeah, because there's so many. There are, um, yeah, it is actually, um, Jen, um, since the beginning of the, the, the lockdowns mm. in all over Europe, there has been a tremendous upswing in uh, requests from companies to be to become a B Corp. And wow. that is, I don't know if that has to do with COVID as a phenomenon. Yeah. I don't know if it has to do with the fact that people have more time available maybe, or that people are thinking about the, the facts of life. And um, I think it, it is a combination of all these things that makes companies, and I'm talking about big companies as well, you know, talking yeah. about thinking about um, what is the future? What is next? And um, so the whole COVID um, crisis 
uh, is in a way also a blessing in disguise. I yeah. Think. Yeah. No, I've, I've heard that from many, many people as well. Um, in fact, most of the people I, I, I hear that, you know, that there's a blessing in disguise sort of feeling about it. I think people are struggling with the lonely, the loneliness factor. So secondly, with the second wave, you know, a lot of people um, I see are struggling, you know, especially those that go into the office every day and rely on the camaraderie within an office environment. You know, they're really missing that connection with people. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, that is, that is, that is what you see. People are a little bit fed up with it, with it now, and that is. Uh, and and in the beginning, they thought, well, you know, uh, in March it was the, the first lockdown, at least here in the Netherlands and in most countries. Then people were looking forward to the summer, mm. and it would end, and the sun was going to shine. It had a lot of psychological elements, and now we're heading for the winter, and and um, and it is worsening by the day almost, and that yeah. is. Uh, so people don't see uh, light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. But, but if you translate that to the B Corp movement right now in the world, there is this even bigger uh, movement called Imperative 21. Imperative 21 means 2021 uh, or the 21st century. And uh, and people are, um, there's about 400 global movements, big mm-hmm. movements like also the B Team from Richard Branson, uh, conscious capitalism um, and the B Corp movement, they all gather their forces to think about um, uh, the reset of the economy, the, the rethinking of the capitalism. Yeah. So, okay, this is obviously also and largely about you and your life. Um, let's maybe just in sort of nutshell form, um, find out like what's your timeline just if you can say because you're born in the Netherlands I mean I mentioned France earlier but people don't know that you're now back in the Netherlands and you're at your home in the Netherlands so um, just give us a a, a synopsis of your timeline you know like where you were born and then school university uh, what you studied and then you know first job like start with that yeah no no I was born in the Netherlands so I'm a very very Dutch Guy in a <laughs> yeah. family uh, in in a family of entrepreneurs. Okay, and um, so um, so my father, as an entrepreneur, thought that his children should be should study because he didn't study. He he started to work when he was thirteen mm-hmm. in the company of his father, which was basically normal in those times. But he didn't want that for his children, so we all had to go to the university. But before I went to university, he sent me to the U.S. to go uh, to do two years of high school there because he wanted me to be uh, to know what the rest of the world would look like. And 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 we had never been in an airplane before in our life, so I flew all by myself, uh, of course, with other people in the plane to uh, Texas, and I went to high school in. Uh, in Grand Prairie, and Grand Prairie is a city uh, big now, uh, in between, right in the middle between uh, Dallas and Fort Worth, and there, and that's where I, and that changed my whole life, you yeah. know, from a very small <clears throat> town of two thousand people in the Netherlands to uh, to this huge um, conglomerate of two cities and a huge airport that at that time was the biggest airport in the world. Mm. So. Uh, and that changed my whole 
philosophy of doing business of what the world looked like. I came back to the Netherlands and I went to the university in Rotterdam and I became an economist and an accountant. And uh, and my first job was at Philips. So oh, that is wow. how life started. So yeah. that was, uh, um, I almost went back to the US uh, after my high school because they gave me a scholarship to play soccer uh, in uh, at a university in Texas. Mm-hmm. And uh, But I went to, uh, I didn't do that. Yeah. So um, you studied then university in, in still in the States or in the Netherlands? No, in, in Rotterdam, in the Netherlands. Oh, you said in Rotterdam. Which, which yeah. uh, was it a particular university or just? Yeah, it's called the Erasmus, the Erasmus University. It's one of the oldest business schools in, in Europe. It's, it's big in the Netherlands and basically all the business leaders uh, go to that university and um and that is where I became, I studied business economics and I have a master's degree in uh, in business economics. And then I did, after that, I finished my master's degree. I did a, what do we call, in the Netherlands, we call it a post-doctorate degree in um, in accounting. So I yeah. became an accountant, a CPA. Yeah. And now, so going back to the States, um, to the town, is it called Grand Prairie, the town? Yeah, they say Grand Prairie. Grand Prairie. So were you at boarding school? Where were you staying? I stayed with a family. And um, so I um, – and I went to high school there. And that is uh, – and I stayed with a family, a host family that is uh, – that I'm still in touch with until now. And that is um, – I would say it is um, – it's 43 years ago that I was there. Yeah. Uh, and when I was 16, 17, 18 years of age, and and they are, um, we have big discussions now. The family, the the children uh, that were my age that I was living with, there were four children in that family, and, mm. and plus me, I was the fifth. And they consider me their brother. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, but they are all Republicans, uh, as many Texans are, a die-hard Trump supporters and so we have big discussions nowadays uh, because we don't completely agree on our visions yeah and, uh, yeah yeah so i stayed as a family and that was a big adventure and tell me was i mean how many siblings do you have myself i have five children no siblings uh, do you have any brothers or sisters uh i have uh, two brothers and a sister and did they also go or was it just you no, my, my, uh, I'm the oldest one of the family. Yeah. And my uh, brother who comes directly after me, he went also to the U.S. Mm. He, he went to Washington State. And, uh, and my, um, my youngest brother didn't. He had to go into the army. And oh. that is, uh, so he didn't have time. So we had this, uh, so young people had to go into the army at yeah. that time. So, I mean, just, Going to that moment, because you talk about that that moment changed your life. Um, first of all, were you totally okay with going? Was this exciting for you? Were you happy with, with this decision your, your dad had made? Yeah. You know, if you look back on it, Jen, um, it was his decision. Mm. And uh, so not mine. I, I wouldn't, I couldn't, I could never have made that up, you know, that idea of going to the U.S., um, it was not so easy because it was a program for young children. You had to be selected and, um, the family had to be selected. And, uh, so it, um, 
it was not in my mind, you know, to think, am I okay with this or not? I, um, I thought it was exciting, okay. but it also, uh, the idea also, it terrified me, you know, it is to, that I had to go all by myself, uh, such a, so far away, you know, in that whole period, I, I made, I think, two phone calls per year wow. with my parents wow. and they, and, uh, so because they, uh, making a phone call was very expensive. So my parents said, well, we can talk when it's Christmas and, and maybe at your birthday and that for the rest, we, we only send letters. Mm. Of course. Yeah. But I mean, that's also true, right? Cause I mean, I went to boarding school and we all actually, it was largely letters. I remember. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. And, 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 and calling and my own children, um, one of my own children, I, we have also sent to the U S uh, out of the five, the middle one. And, but you know, he was speaking to my wife, uh, at least every week or more, uh, via, uh, you know, um, Skype or whatever. Or, um, so, so that is, uh, and because we, there was no contact in my time, because if you sent a letter, uh, three weeks later, you received an answer or four or five weeks later, you received an answer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that was not a proper communication, of course. So you were on your own. Yeah. And that was the most terrifying thing I remember. Yeah. But I mean, you say terrifying, like to begin with, or did it stay there? Did it keep feeling strange and terrifying? Or did you, at a certain moment, you accepted it and you were enjoying yourself? No, it took at least six months before I started enjoying myself. Yeah. And that is uh, um, the, the first I, I never forget the first morning I arrived in the middle of the night at 12 o'clock at the airport at Dallas and the, the family that I was going to stay with picked me up. We went home. We spoke a little bit. I went to bed at two o'clock, something like that, as far as I recall. And then when I woke up the next morning, I thought I had had a horrible nightmare oh. that I was going to fly to Texas and I woke up and I was there. So oh, I was oh in that's my terrible. That's, oh gosh, I can, it, it reminds me of a story with them, what happened with me once in Australia, but I, I, I can relate to that feeling. Oh, shame. <laughs> yeah. And I opened the window and I saw uh, a big highway. The family was living close to, in the Netherlands, we had highways, you had two lanes. Yeah. That was a highway, but there this was six lanes, maybe 12 lane highway. And, and big cars driving there slowly because in America they drive slowly, uh, more slowly than in the Netherlands. And that is, uh, and I quickly closed the curtains and I went back to bed and under my, under my pillow and I started to cry. Oh. I, 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 I remember that because it was so, it was so terrible that I was there. And it took me, yeah, it took me a couple of months, maybe five, six months. I didn't have any friends in the beginning. So, uh, it was all difficult. My English was not good enough. Well, I spoke more Oxford English and, and in Texas, they made fun of that accent. You know, they, yeah. they speak Texan accent and they think it's a, it's a very strange accent if you speak British mm. English. Oh, wow. And so, I mean, you talk about that being such a life changer. So looking back on that now, do you see it as, just a positive life changer or w would you say also in a negative way? No, I, I see it. I see it uh, as just positive. And that is um, it, you know, you, 
very quickly become self-dependent. Mm. And um, you have, because you have to. Yeah. And so you're forced into that. And that is, uh, um, well, maybe my parents, you know, my parents didn't know what they were sending me into either. They had never flown an airplane before in their lives. They had never been in the U.S. before. They didn't know much about it. So they they just sent me there because they thought it, it would help me to become, uh, to grow up. And uh, But what, what it changed in me is that uh, since then, I've never thought that I cannot do anything, you know, which yeah. is, of course, th- there are many things that you and me and people cannot do. But I've, 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 if I can do the mentality that if I can do that on such at such a young age, I can do everything, you know, that is, uh, which is also not true, but it gives you a lot of self-confidence. Um, and um, that is one thing. The second thing that I've seen there is the, 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 the business mentality. It's, it was, a, it was an adventure, you know, as well. And uh, uh, it's, it, it, I, it, made me understand the people better. So if I look at the U.S. now, for example, later on in my business life, it has helped me greatly because I played American football uh, in the the school team, in the varsity, and uh, that has helped me a lot because I have a lot of business contacts in the U.S. that that talk about football. I know exactly what it's all about because I played it myself. And uh, so it's... Gave me friends. Uh, I understand the culture a little bit better. I, what I see now happening in the U.S., I can place in the light of, um, you know. And I've been back many times to that family uh, as well. So yeah. it's, uh, I see it as positive, Jen. Yeah, uh, so. yeah. But so you talk about, um, uh, you know, the now you have such a, you know, stronger understanding of the U.S. and and the people, etc. But does that play an important role in your life now? Um, yes, because if I, you know, um, I since nineteen ninety seven almost, I. I started, I had a big game changer in my life as well because I became a member of uh, a club of business people called Social Venture Network. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, uh, that, um, also started in the U.S. with people like Ben Cohen from Ben and Jerry's. And, um, so I have always had a very international perspective when we talk about sustainability and okay. about the planet. And, and that, and that, uh, you know, has helped because, yeah, the U.S. is an important part of the international world. Sure, sure. Yeah. So then let's, because now you talk about 1997. So, I mean, uh, after uh, the States, you came back, you studied, you became a, a master chartered accountant, and then you went into accounting as your first role. Like, tell us then what happened after that leading up to today. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, um, you, you make it sound like I knew that everything, I knew exactly how I was planning my life, but I didn't have a single clue because I, <laughs> I, know, I, I have no idea myself. I'm just, no. I'm just hearing. Okay. So you studied this yeah. and then you, no, no. yeah. So well, yeah, let's well, hear what my, happened. Yeah. My passion, I have to tell you, my passion was to become an archaeologist. Okay. And, um, so I needed to go and study history. But I didn't go study history because in 1980, 
1977, when I started at the university, the business market was so bad that uh, you couldn't hardly find any job. So uh, I thought I have to go do a study where I can at least find a job. Mm. And that was accounting. And so I became an accountant at Philips after my study in 1983. And But that was very boring. You know, Philips at that time was a very boring company. Now it is very ex- exciting, but then it was very boring. And being an accountant in itself was also, to me, very boring. Yeah. So it was double boring. And so after two <laughs> years, Gosh. yeah, it was, it was actually terrible, you know. And after two years in Philips, I went to my manager and I said, you know, I, 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 this is, this is unbearable for me. I will, I'm leaving. And I shook his hand and I walked out of his office and I went back home. Yeah. And that was a shocking uh, moment for also for Phillips because uh, you didn't leave like that. Just yeah. walk out of the building and go home. So, uh, and then I founded my own company. Uh, I wanted to have my own company and I didn't care in what my company would specialize. And coincidentally, I walked into people that were doing artificial intelligence in 1985. This was, and I founded my first company and it was an AI company. And that is, uh, still exists, by the way. And that is, uh, was the first AI company in the Netherlands. It just was awarded a very big prize two weeks ago, became the second most innovative, innovative company in the Netherlands. Wow. And, and what's the, the name of it? It's called Bolesian. B-O-L-E-S-I-A-N, Bolesian. Bolesian, and, yeah. Uh, it, uh, so that's what I found it. And, um, and since then, I have been creating companies since uh, 19, this was 1985. Yeah. I found my first company. So, and what sort, I mean, how many companies, you say been create, creating companies, like how many? Can you give us? About a, 20. Yeah. I found, I created about 20 different companies and I, um, that has been, that is basically, has become my passion. Not that archaeology is gone because I'm still digging in the, in the ground and uh, in France. So then, okay. So what are you digging in the ground in France? What's that all about? Yeah, I, I, yeah, it's, it's a whole different story almost, but 25 years ago, I bought this, um, totally ruined, um, yeah, r- ruined estate, so to speak, 12 hectares of land. And, um, and the people told me that I had been a castle on that land, on the 12 hectares of land. It's called the Chateau Vieux, which means the old castle. That's the translation of the French. And, mm-hmm. So uh, that was the name of the estate, but th- there was no castle. So I kept digging and digging. And three years after I bought the land, I found the under the grounds, I found the ruins of the castle that has been destroyed in 1183, I think it yeah. was. So, so I have been working on that archaeolog- archaeological work, uh, digging every year. I'm doing that in the summer months when I'm there. Yeah. I, I, uh, so, um, so my passion has come, has come back, you know, in, um, as a hobby. Yeah. Yeah. But now, so, I mean, and these 20 companies, who's managing them? How do they, how are they arranged and set up? Oh yeah, they are. Um, so my first company was an AI company. I sold that company, uh, seven years later. I moved to the U.S. and I created in Silicon Valley a, company in the field of virtual reality 
uh, I came back to the Netherlands and I created a company in innovation technology. And so those companies were either sold or uh, I handed them over to another manager. I had a golf company that employs a hundred people still. Uh, Doing what in the- golf? A golf. We have a we have a golf company that organizes events for all kinds of big companies in the Netherlands, mm-hmm. and we have a golf course, which is the number one Dutch golf course uh, in the Netherlands, called the Dutch, but that employs a hundred people. So yeah. it's um, uh, and so I had a trading company in cosmetics in Dubai uh, that was sold to uh, to an Indian company. So I have. I had all kinds of companies. Well, keep going. Mainly- I'm, I'm curious. Tell me more. Like I'm actually genuinely curious about all these different kinds of companies. Yeah. Well, they are. Um, you know, I think um, when I see a good idea or I see an opportunity or people talk to me about something, uh, then I um, I'm easily inspired or I'm easily getting enthusiastic about an idea, and I. Um, as I told you from my upbringing in the U.S., I, I never think something is impossible. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm mostly inspired if people say, well, Lane, going into this area is really impossible. You shouldn't do that. Then that inspires me the most almost. Sure, and that sure. Is, uh, so, uh, and, and uh, but, but, you know, building companies um, has to move into a certain area direction i think so a company has to have a, a meaning yeah and in the beginning when i founded my first company in 1985 and ai i didn't know that i didn't have anything with that i just wanted to have my own company i wanted to be in charge of that i wanted to be successful uh, it's not about the money you know i've never been driven by uh can i make a lot of money with a company and and then people come to me and they ask my advice when they want to build up a company and and i say why do you do that and when they say they want to make a lot of money i'm not interested you know this is so that there's such a poor mm. um, a poor reason for for starting a company it so, has to have a purpose and that yeah. is uh, yeah but so, so when and, you say the company must have a meaning can you elaborate on that well a meaning um, a company that doesn't mean anything for the world so that doesn't bring anything of value to the world in my opinion is is i'm not interested in that it's meaningless so uh, for example if you build uh, when i started the b corp movement in europe i wanted to be all the companies to be b corps because then they uh, they think at least about the products that they make uh, uh, the there's this company in the Netherlands called Tony Chocolonely. It's a chocolate company that, uh, but the philosophy is that uh, there is a lot of slavery in the, the production of chocolate. And all, like there is a lot of slavery still in the production of coffee. So you see coffee companies and chocolate companies that either sell as much chocolate as they can, or you see chocolate companies that care about the people who produce the chocolate beans or the coffee beans and they care about the whole supply chain and they want to improve that supply chain. Yeah. Well, those companies I like yeah. and the big chocolate traders uh, who don't care about that I don't like and that is, um, or I don't care for. And that is, uh, so can you imagine that there are people working for a company called British American Tobacco producing products that kill people? 
can you imagine that that is really in this world? Yeah, you can imagine that because people are working for those companies and the people are working for weapon industry and people and and that is uh, so amazing to me that that we have people who who apparently work for companies that damage the world and yeah. that is uh, uh, and that that change in my mind has been planted in my mind uh, in that's why I mentioned 19 97 by the by the people like uh, uh, Anita Roddick from the Body Shop and Ben Cohen from Ben and Jerry's. Those people were at that time game changing entrepreneurs, in my opinion. Yeah. So what actually? Because um, you've been starting companies since 1985, and in 1997, that's when you joined the Social Venture Network. So like. How so? Before 1997, you were just sort of starting different companies or sort of building up different companies, but there was not yet that attention to um, sustainability and um, taking care of the people. No, yeah, you're right. That uh, I didn't have a clue, and that is uh, that that existed, and I. Um, no, I didn't pay any attention. I was not trained at that, you know, at, uh, when you're a business economist, nobody told us about, uh, uh, there was a limitless growth. Everybody was talking about growth, growing, uh, more, more revenue companies should grow. And, and so that was the whole concept of, uh, the economical theory. So I didn't, I didn't know that those people existed. Yeah. And, uh, but, but I, uh, I was, I, I never forget. I was so inspired. I thought, wow, these people, they, they are smarter. They're more intelligent. They, they, uh, they were actually hippies, you know. Nobody was talking about sustainability in those days. Uh, they were talking about, uh, uh, enough is enough. And that is, and I tried to bring that into my own company. At that time, I was the CEO of a very large 25,000 people company in uh, uh in 60 countries so and which and, company uh, was that it's called origin okay and origin is now called atos atos is still one of the biggest it companies in the world like capgemini and that is uh that is also a big uh, it company that most people know atos is also big in the uk by the way it's uh, thousands of people i think and, so uh, just um Okay, there's a question I want to ask you, but just just in nutshell. So, Origin, how did Origin start, and how what was your like? How just explain that sort of life cycle there? Well, Origin, you know, besides creating companies, I've also ran some large multinationals mm. like Origin, and that is uh, where I became the CEO of a company, and um, but that was a that is not entrepreneurial. So the entrepreneurial spirit that you have in when you create your own company and you start out of nothing uh, is totally different than when you manage a company. Mm. And uh, so managing companies I have done, large companies, but they, that has never given me much pleasure. Well, it was a nice experience. It was, uh, yeah. it was a very honorable job to be at 38 on such a, such a position. But it, um, uh, I did that for three years and then I went back to creating my own company in 2000, which was a, uh, an innovation company. And that is, um, 
how to bring people, how to, how to help companies, big companies to innovate and to move them in the right direction. And that, and then I was already heavily influenced by, by the, by the entrepreneurs that were in social venture network. It was a network of, of people who had their own companies who created Patagonia, for example, was in, in, uh, and those kind of people, they, they were such big inspirational examples. What is Patagonia? You don't, you've never heard of Patagonia? As in the con- like, as in the country, or, or, you, or is it a company? No, it's a, it's a big company. It's, a, it's one of the most iconic closing outdoor closing. Oh companies. yeah, exactly. No, yeah. No. But you see, that's funny because I can actually see the, the brand name. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> but uh, when you say Patagonia, then I'm obviously thinking of Patagonia itself, right? Yeah. Um, no, no, Patagonia is the no, it's a brand. It's the yeah. No, I can see the label because I I love camping and that sort of thing. But so, yeah. but what's so special about it? Well, they they are they are taking care of the of the planet okay. in everything that they do. They are an iconic example. Also, the the founder Yvonne Chouinard, he. He is such a, the way that he treats his people, you know, he wrote a book and it's a, let my people go surfing. Don't stay in the office. Go, go, go surfing, man, and, and enjoy your life. And that, that kind of mentality was, is so different from how you run, how normal people think that you should run a company. And that is uh, where you treat your people and, and, and you talk about, human resource management and you have people you don't call them people you call them an fte full-time equivalent that is how people talk about uh, the employees well not in those companies in those companies they are treated as human beings so human being management instead of human resource management and, and not and not an an, an element an fte yeah yeah you know the, the way that they treat people that they treat the suppliers that they treat the planet you yeah. have to what you have to give back that whole mentality uh, uh, is so different from people who run a company and on a quarterly basis and every quarter they need to have higher profits and higher yeah you know so tell me why why did you then work for origin for those three years what made you go into such a big corporate 25,000 man yeah, the founder, company the, the founder of that company did the founder of that company was a a guy a big friend of Ben Cohen and of Ben and Jerry's. So they were bad buddies. Mm. And so the founder of the company was a super inspirational entrepreneur who um, sold his company origin to Philips. And here Philips comes back. Yeah. That I started my career with. And that joint venture uh, of the, IT, the computer business, the information technology business at Philips joined with Origin. That was a, a, a merger that, that, that failed. And that is uh, because the cultures were clashing. So the founder of Origin came to me and he said, his name was Eckhart. And he came to me and he said, Lane, can you fix this, this failed merger? And you bring the spirit back into it. And that is what I did for three years. And uh, basically I did it because I liked him so much, but because uh, he was so inspirational. But, but, you know, being in that Phillips community was, was not, was not nice. So that is why I, 
I couldn't stand it uh, after three years and yeah. more. And how did you know Eckhart, the founder of Origin? Yeah, he, um, you know, how that's how life goes. You know, he, when I founded my first company in artificial intelligence, uh, he also had as an element in his company an artificial intelligence division. Okay. And they were my biggest competitors. So he and I spoke in 1986, 1987, let's say 10 years before I eventually joined him. We spoke about, uh, and we became friends, actually. Yeah. Uh, and he died uh, about five years ago, but he uh, he and I became friends. And he uh, also from the looks, if you think about Ben Cohen, Ben Cohen of Ben & Jerry's, one of the two guys who founded Ben & Jerry's ice cream, he is... Um, it's it's also a, such an inspirational man, Jen. I, I just uh, two years ago was at a theater and yeah. he gave a speech to an eighty-year-old. I think it was eighty at that time. He, yeah, he was jumping up and down the <laughs> stage in his t-shirt as an an a climate activist. And and when you see people like that, you think, wow, man. I hope that when I'm that age, that I'm still so. Inspire, inspirational and so inspired and so active as this guy yeah. uh, on stage. Wow. Yeah. But so, and then just now to to seal this off in, in, in my understanding that in 97 when you, because you talk about not being aware, you know, um, the whole time, not sort of being enlightened to really like uh, just a more fair life um, in in business and um, you know for people to to go out there and also to contribute to feel needed to to feel valued. Um, your eyes were closed to this before, and in '97 you joined this social venture network. Like, tell me exactly what the ex the meeting coincidences were to actually bring you in contact with this network. Well, actually the this Eckhart that I mentioned, yeah, uh, who became my friend in 1986, something like that, who who was the founder of this big company called Origin. He, uh, when I when I helped him to re, re, restructure it uh, because of this failed merger, mm. he was one of my board members and uh, a non-executive board member. And he came to me and said, "Lane." Um, you really have to become a member of Social Venture Network. I'd never heard of it. And because his, he was the friend, the big friend of, of Ben Cohen, they jointly brought his, the ice cream of Ben and Jerry's to Europe. And so he said, you have to go there. So here's a ticket, buy a ticket and go to the, there's this event taking place of Social Venture Network in, I don't know where it was, but it, I think it was somewhere in, either in, um, in Delaware, no, it was not in Delaware, in uh, Vermont, I think. Yeah, and 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 I went to that event, and there were let's say five hundred entrepreneurs. I didn't know what I was going into, and I, um, uh, but they were, yeah. I I never forget. I went there, and I came back maybe a week later into the Netherlands, into my company, and I was completely filled with with energy, and because I had seen people that were, yeah, I would like to say just a little bit more intelligent, a little bit more aware of what's going on in the world, just mm. a little bit more careful with their people and they, and still making profits, 
Yeah. You know, so you would say that sustainability can never be profitable. That was the mentality then in that those days. Some people still have that mentality, but they are then a little bit far behind in what reality is. And so at that time, you know, I was speaking to people, I was listening to speeches, and they were all, that was all new to me. Mm. It was um, the way those people were, and they were partying heavily, you know. So uh, <laughs> they were really smoking, smoking pots, drinking wine, live bands. So they had a wild it was also kind of a wild conference, you know, they parties going on till six o'clock in the morning. And then at nine o'clock, everybody is sharp. They were all working again. So it was a combination of, of fun, of, uh, how to treat the world, uh, rightly, uh, how to, how to think about the resources that the planet has to offer, how to think about e- equal rights. Uh, you know, we were talking now about, um, yeah, uh, about equal rights, but th- that was already there, of course, 30 years ago. They, those people, they are like that. Mm-hmm. They, it's not inclusion is not a topic, you know, in that community. It is, it is, why should it be a top, a topic if, 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 if it is, if it is there, you know, everybody thinks it's inclusion is normal and diversity is normal. So now in the world, it's becoming a topic, but you know, in the social events network world, it's not a topic. It is, it is what it is. Yeah. And that is because it is normal. And, yeah. uh, so, um, yeah, that, that, um, it inspired me. So every year I kept going there, uh, just to get inspiration and energy. I became the, the chairman of social events network Europe. So that was also, when a was European. that? Yeah. I think that that's maybe it was in 2000. 2003, 2004, that I became the chairman of Social Venture Network Europe, already existed. And, uh, and out of that whole network of Social Venture Network came basically in 2006, the whole B Corp uh, movement. Yeah. Uh, which is, which is going one step further than, than only, uh, a network of, um, entrepreneurs that think that you should be a little bit more conscious about what's going on on the planet and how you treat people. Yeah. So, because I want to then come to the, the the sort of just the difference, exact difference between those two. But just to be clear, so when you did go in 97 to that, you know, to to Vermont or wherever you, you went in the States, um, partying, you know, work hard, play hard, just totally inspired. You came back again, you said, and you were just so inspired by what you had experienced. But is it my understanding that then you were still with Origin when you came back? Because that's how you, yeah. Yeah, that is right. And then your question could be, so what did you do with it? Well, no, no, my question is, because I know you left uh, after three years of Origin. So obviously- Um, you then started your new company, right? Yes. And then was yeah. that completely within the sort of social venture network framework? Yeah, it was. Um, what is complete, uh, Jen? So uh, you, I, I think it it grew upon me a little bit, if you know what that means. I. I started to understand what it was. Um, I, 
I did not know immediately how to bring that into my business. You know, it is, um, uh, it was not so that I thought, well, now I'm going to set up a consulting firm that's going to help other companies to become sustainable. It was not like that. It was more how, um, over the years I became more and more aware of, um, that something needed to change. And, um, so change in how you, how you run a business. Why do you run a business? Is it only about the profit? How do you treat your people? Uh, so over the years, it became, yeah, it became more uh, of a way of life and it became more normal uh, in my companies as well. Yeah. That, uh, that you, uh, that you try to bring it into practice. Yeah. Because and I mean, that's, that is exactly like what you're talking about you know, is exactly where people's minds are um, when they get affected by something, right? Because, I mean, it's the same thing with, you know, the the latest, you know, Sir David Attenborough's film, his, you know, his testimony that's out now on Netflix. Um, you know, you see a film like that and you think, right, like, what can I do? So how can I now implement that, right? Um, and yes. I think that this is where B Corp um, becomes interesting um, in the sense that when you become a member of B Corp, you have to, uh, you have to apply by a certain list of criteria. So it's like a checkoff list almost, right? So it's almost, you know, that's what you have to do. You've got to check all those things off and then you can become a member. And obviously you have to maintain those uh, principles. Um, but, but exactly understand what you're saying when you made that transition. It is a it is a process in a human being's mind when when you get affected by something and you want to make the change, but to do it like so black and white overnight, it's not easy. No, and it's it's also not um natural, I would say. And that is so um yeah, when uh, by the way, it's a beautiful uh movie from uh David Attenborough had his latest one, and that is, um, but but you know, um, the social venture network I would describe it still exists, of course. It's it's now called social venture circle, mm -hmm. and it is a it it was a network of people, not companies, people, okay, entrepreneurs, and uh, people who had their own all they all had their own company, so. Uh, uh, big, small, mid-sized, but all entrepreneurs, but people. So out of that, when social uh, B Corps is companies. Yes. Um, uh, it's not only people. So this is, is where that comparison comes in now. So I understand it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so it is companies. And if you, you know, if you have a person, like, let me give you an example. Everybody knows Unilever. Yes. Unilever is a huge company, a British Dutch company, and uh, it was ran by a man called Paul Polman. And Paul Polman was the CEO. He just stepped down, I think, a year ago, something like that. And he was all uh, into sustainability and how can I make Unilever uh, into a more sustainable, responsible, conscious company. Mm -hmm. but, but that was a man. And now the company, there's a big step between a leader or, uh, and, and by the way, Paul Polman is not an entrepreneur. He's a manager. And there is a big difference also between, in my opinion, between somebody who 
does a superb job in managing a multinational and an entrepreneur. Mm. And that is um, who creates his own company or and builds it, builds it up and uh, has uh, a totally different risk uh, uh, view than an, than a manager has. But, mm. uh, Which, of course, so- you, can, you can input there, right? Because you've been CEOs of big, big companies, but you've also been, uh, you know, you've started up several companies. So you can, yeah. you've felt, you've lived and experienced the difference. Yeah, and that helps when I work with companies to uh, who either want to become a B Corp or want to go move into that direction because I know immediately all the blocking elements, the, all the things that will not work and that will work. So Paul Pullman is um, the guy who runs a company and now the B Corps, those are the corps, the B Corps are companies and they have to, uh, yeah, they have to uh, apply to certain, um, yeah, to certain regulations and they have to certify. And, and now there's a big difference here because in many countries, you have all kinds of clubs and, uh, and, and organizations that talk about sustainability. Yeah. You know, you can remember, and there is where a lot of greenwashing is taking place. Greenwashing is people talk about it, but they don't really do it. All talk, no action. No, okay. Yeah. So for example, BlackRock. Uh, which is a big, um, or, or, or 3i, which is a, a private equity company. They all talk about impact capital and about sustainability and they do that on the side. So they also do a little bit of that mm. and but they're not intrinsically lo- uh, like that. So everybody can become a member of social venture network and also people who just don't give a shit, to be honest. And yeah. but that's not possible in the B Corp. Uh, movement because you have to, yeah, you, you're being certified, you're being recertified every three years, you're being checked. And so you have to, uh, you adhere to certain standards. Yes. And, uh, and those standards are, yeah, the, the, the standards that were, were developed since 19 or 2006 by the whole B Corp community are the most widely uh, used standards currently in the world. In, in the field of uh, impact. Yeah. So did, did, uh, when did B Corp actually start? 2006. It did start in 2006. Okay. Yeah. It was created in the U S and the reason why it was created in the U S is because in the U S there is still is a, uh, shareholder primacy as you call it. So it's all about the shareholders. So the shareholders have to make money. And the stakeholders are not prime, their prime attention. Mm. Stakeholders are the customers, the, 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 the people who live around it, the suppliers, the, the planet, uh, the, the nature. Those are all the stakeholders. And, but no, no, no. In the US, the number one legally and by law, the number one attention for a company is the shareholder. Yeah. But that's, that's, why- that's, completely contrary to B Corp. That's the B Corp is where the stakeholders are primary. Yeah. The B Corp is the stakeholder, stakeholder driven. And because in the U S there is such a very, very strong shareholder primacy, much stronger than in Europe, mm. much stronger than in Europe. Uh, that is why it's, uh, it, they created a legal form called B Corp benefit corporation. 
And uh, that is now, uh, there is a legal format for that in 39 U.S. states that okay. you can create a company that has a different, that, that is allowed to, can you imagine that, that is allowed to work for the, for the stakeholders instead of only the shareholders. Yeah. But I mean, these are private companies, so isn't that a choice? It's private companies. It's, it's like any other company. It's a, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, but it's how can the law stop you from saying, I'm going to make my employees and my suppliers more important? Like, how does that work? Well, it, it doesn't work by law. It works by, first of all, you have to put it in your, um, in the articles of association. Yeah. So you have to change the articles of association because you cannot be in the U.S. Uh, let me give you an example. There was this B Corp and a B Corp. Uh, uh, the, no, there was a company was not a B Corp yet. The CEO was sued by the shareholders because he improved the pensions uh, of his employees. Okay. So, so, um, so he looked after his employees and he slightly improved their living conditions and he was sued by the shareholders because the shareholders said that is our money that money should not go to the employees what company was this yeah it's, it's it was a flower company not okay. flowers but flour that you make bread off yes yes uh, well, so that man was sued then he was fired then he was rehired, by the way, because there was a big uproar about it. <laughs> sued, him. fired, and rehired. It should be a book. <laughs> yeah, no, he was, he was sued, fired, and then he was. He is now back in his position again. Uh, there is a different board. The company has now become a B Corp. And in a B Corp uh, company, that, that would be impossible. That could not happen. Even legally, he would be protected and uh, by law. Okay. And, uh, because... because uh, a company that where the shareholders that is not a B Corp that is just an Inc in the US I'm talking about the US the shareholders can sue you for that Yeah. because it's all about the shareholders all the money is owned by the shareholders yeah so I mean we're talking about bigger companies here right I mean we're talking about no, the no, big players no no, no no also small ones you know, uh, you know there is uh uh, that uh, not only big companies, this, but also small companies. Yeah, well, maybe not a one-person or a two-person company, but it's not only companies that have uh, that are on the that are public companies because there is only two or three public companies that are B corps. Yeah. Because, at, uh, for example, Danone, Danone, uh, the yogurt company or the milk or the food company, Danone, one of the biggest food companies in the world is now in the process of becoming a B Corp. Okay. So then, so say, for example, I've got people listening who are working for Danone or working for a company like Danone. Like, what can they expect to change if their company becomes a B Corp company? Well, maybe nothing. If the company is already doing great for their employees, but they, uh, what you will see is that they, um, that the company will become much more aware of, who supplies them? How do we treat the farmers that where we get the milk? How do those farmers produce the milk? So the company will become slowly but certainly more conscious. And, and, and maybe, maybe the employees see it, but sometimes the companies are already doing pretty well. Yeah. And, uh, so the employees don't immediately see a difference. Um, uh, uh, 
I don't know if the name interface floor means anything to you. Interface floor is the biggest flooring company, t- uh, carpet tiles yeah. carpet company in the world. And they um, are, yeah, I would say totally sustainable. So, but intrinsically, so that all their employees Mm. Uh, are aware of it and all their employees are proud to be working for a company that wants to be CO2 neutral, I think next year or in 2022. And they, so everybody's helping with that. Everybody's working that people are are brought into programs. So, so those companies you will see also in the gnome, you will see that the employees are being, they're being pulled into projects uh, uh, that, yeah, they become more, they're being trained. They become more aware. Why are they there? What is the purpose of the company? How do they take care of the planet? Those kind of programs, mm. that's what, what employees will see. And so, they will. Uh, I mean, you know, we've got a lot of people that listen to this who are, are more, you know, also on the employee side as well, and not just on the entrepreneurial side or the management side, should I say? So, um, is there a way that uh, B Corp, because you know this is this is how we got in contact? As I said, Kim, who I interviewed in her episodes, just gone live now. And for those of you listening, you can go and listen to Kim uh, Kramer's interview. She's also her company is a B Corp company as well. But I mean, obviously, these stories are all about people's life stories, and you really just hear what people are also passionate about. And for Lane, it's definitely sustainability. But the point is, is that you know a lot of people do listen to the show and they think, okay, cool, B Corp, B Corp. But I mean, I'm not an entrepreneur yet, or maybe I do want to be but I'm not one now, um, or I'm not, you know, a company manager or owner. So is there a sort of um, facility where the, the man on the street, let's say, right, the, the you know, the, the, the person who's working for a company can go and, um, yeah, try and find B Corp employers yeah. to work well, for, you know? Yeah, you know, the, the whole methodol- no, the in order to become a B Corp, let's start on that level, uh, companies have to go through what they call a BIA. And that stands for a benefit impact assessment. Mm-hmm. That is a tool on the internet that is for free for everybody. So you're free to use. It is the most widely used tool by people and companies to become sustainable. And that is, uh, so you go to www.bcorporation.net and there you look for BIA, Benefit Impact Assessment, and then you can, you can read it and you can, uh, there's all kinds of models that you can use. You can also, if you have a very small company of two people or, or three, my daughter, my oldest daughter is 32. She has a company of six people. They produce stone paper that's made from paper uh, from stone, from rocks, yeah. 80% stone and 20% bioplastic. And she became a B Corp. She is as that company for five years now. So she is a famous B Corp in, in Europe and she is gives lectures all over the world. So my children talk about people. I've said to my children, you either work for a sustainable company because all the other companies will go bankrupt eventually. There is no future. And I'm, I'm serious about this. Eh? There is no future for a company that doesn't take care of the planet and is not sustainable. No future. So don't work for those companies. So please, 
and there is and there is a growing demand for companies that take care of the planet. By the way, research has shown that millennials, young people that are looking for companies to work for, are looking for companies with a purpose. Yeah. And they don't want to work for companies that don't have a purpose. They're just there for the money. So that you see that the most talented people are looking for those kind of companies. So mm. when I say to my children, don't work for a company that is not a sustainable company, you, uh, my oldest daughter took that, uh, as a, as a signal to create her own company. And she, um, she picked up a technology and she built a company around that. But some of my other children are working for companies mm. that are, uh, but, but no one, my youngest daughter, for example, is studying journalism and she wants to build a platform for non-biased news. Yeah. And that is, uh, because also you see that Facebook is being spit out where young people now, people see that that is garbage in and garbage out. And so, uh, uh, so you see, um, that people within companies are being, um, on all levels, you don't have to be a manager to, to be able to bring something of sustainability in your company, into your company. Mm. And, um, and you see that all over Europe now that, that people who work for companies, they, they start to think. And also in COVID, the whole COVID crisis is a huge st- stimulating factor for people to think, well, why am I working here? I'm sitting at home all the time. And what is this company doing? So, when we, when you see a reset coming out of it, people are thinking about their health, about what kind of food do they eat? What kind of, uh, do they have two cars? Why do you need two cars? Uh, do you need three cars? So you need one. Do you need a car at all? Uh, so, so there's a whole reset in the minds of people now, um, of all levels in all companies, um, to, uh, to think about what is life going to, uh, bring. Yeah. So, I mean, it's interesting, by the way, you you know, because you were so interested in archaeology and your daughter's company um, (laughs) has a a business making paper out of stone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not out of my stones, by the way. No, (laughs) out of your... uh, uh, (laughs) (laughs) Not about the rocks that I dig up. uh, No, it's it's a... There are, you know, she picked it up out of... It's an interesting book. It's called The Blue Economy. The Blue Economy is, I would say, the one most, it's a, it's a fun book. It shows a hundred technologies that can improve the world. And, uh, it's a very practical book for young people that want to build their own company. Just pick up that book and you see stuff about mushrooms, about, uh, different ways of energy, about different ways of making paper, all, uh, all build around what they call biomimicry. Yeah. What, what do we learn from nature? And that is, uh, so I would say there are so many, uh, opportunities now for young people to start a company. It's amazing how there, there is a, there is such a big demand for people in the B Corp. Those B Corps are all growing, you know, and they are, are looking for the best possible people. And the good news is that that the, the young, talented millennials want to work for those kind of companies. Mm. So, I mean, they to don't... go back to to just the question earlier, so, you know, for people listening now, like they're thinking this is, you know, this is cool. There are companies that are actually signed in to take care of me 
and 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 I'll, I'll I'll give what I can. I'll give my best, but the company is also signed in to say we 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 look after you. We want to look after you. That's our philosophy. That's a part of our, as you said. I mean, that's written into our articles of association. Like, so can they? Is there a place that people can go and? find these companies or as, I mean, you spoke about this BIA, the benefit impact assessment, but can they go and find these companies just by seeing who your members are then? Yeah. Yeah. You can, um, I think in the UK, there's about 180 B Corps. Um, So it's a very active community in the UK. Uh, You can go to the website of of what I just mentioned, www.bcorporation.net. So B corporation.net and there you can see uh, per segment per sector you can see all the companies all the b corps that, that there are there's about 3600 i think b corps all over the world and uh, so you can look them up and you yeah. can find their names and you can see the context you can see their scores it's all very transparent yeah so like why is this so important to you I mean, I know you came in contact with the network and that's where the seeds was planted and then it started to grow organically from there gradually over time. But now as we speak, let's just paint the picture of like your life now, Lane. Like you have your your beautiful old property in, in France that you sort of digging up and, and discovering old, you know, old buildings from the past, castles and et cetera. Um, and do you still have companies at the moment that you're managing or um, that you're really directly involved with? Yes, I'm involved in a in a vertical farm company, in a uh, artificial intelligence company. But my first company that that I now I back with, I'm a board member. I'm not the CEO of it, but I'm one of the shareholders, and I have a uh, a consulting firm uh, where I uh, am building up for them uh, or helping them to build up an SDG, Sustainable Development Goal practice. So, um, uh, and I have my farm, you know, my, the, 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 the castle that I dig up is on a, on a 12 hectare farm and I work on the farm. So I'm a farmer. Mm. And that is, uh, uh, and in all, um, I'm a board member of the B Lab community of B Lab Europe. So, um, and, and, and some other companies. So I'm still, uh, and I write books. So, uh, so I'm, I'm very active. Um, but I only spend my time on, on, um, on companies and activities that, um, that have, that the business as a force for good, you know. Yes, I understand. Taking care of the planet is to me, that's the only thing. And why that is, is because if we don't do that, we will die. Yeah. As a race, as a human race, we are the only, we're the only animal that, uh, that has the inclination to kill, to kill itself. And that is, um, so we are, uh, late. We are late in making changes and we are slow. In making changes, and that is uh, that is why I'm so actively. I've I've become when I've seen the Ben Cohen from Ben and Jerry activist on stage. My children tell me that I'm more and more. The older I get, I'm becoming more of an activist, and um, myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, because I, we are in a hurry, you know, and we should be in a hurry. Yeah, 
So uh, Belizean, it's, do I pronounce it correctly? Belizean? Yeah, Belizean. Be yeah. Belizean, which is your artificial intelligence company. No, is it virtual reality now or artificial intelligence? Artificial intelligence. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. is that uh, a B Corp company? It's, it's on the way to certify. Okay, there which was the SDG that you said. The, the SDG is that is a B Corp, but that is, um, uh, but the sustainable development goals are the goals from the United Nations, the 17 that are the compass that are steering, well, steering us countries, companies into the direction of, uh, of, of more sustainability. It's, and that is, uh, yeah. I mean, it's actually really crazy and beautiful how, you know, even on my platform, right, I interview people from all walks of life, from all different backgrounds, doing different things. And it's it's beautiful how certainly because I, you know, my show is all about bringing good to the world and just bringing light of these amazing stories and and ultimately creating a beautiful world. So, um, but it's, it's interesting how, so you talk about the SDGs, okay? This is just a simple... Um, beautiful sort of serendipity that's happening here for me because um when was it two weeks ago ellen windermuth's interview went out now she's the owner and founder of uh, a production company called off the fence now i mean this is a production company and she's also talking about these sdgs right the 17 um pillars or i, I call them pillars but what 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 they, what the 17 sustainable goals um but it's just so nice to hear i mean even on my show, and I don't cherry pick people specifically because they're in environmental awareness or because, you know, it just, I, I, people come in my path. And if I find there's an inspiration there that I want to sort of, yeah, explore, then I, then I meet with them and, and, you know, bring them onto the show. But it's, I'm hearing these same words coming up a lot. Yeah. It, it is not surprising, I think, because it's, um, Especially now, in these days, in these times, that people are, we are going through something that nobody could have ever imagined would happen. So it is something that if a year ago you would have said, well, you know what, we're going to, nobody will fly anymore. Uh, we're closing down the bars and the restaurants and people have to stay inside their houses. Well, people would have thought you were crazy or drunk. And that is, uh, and so we are now going through, uh, through, we have realized that those big changes, sudden changes, systemic changes could all, could, could all of a sudden happen. So that makes people think, I think more. So people, uh, and, and they, uh, become aware of that. We cannot go on like this mm. forever. And that is so the awareness. Um, it helped the SDGs because the SDGs were created in 2015 as the goals for 2030. So uh, the United Nations, they were thinking we have 15 years to reach those goals uh, from 2015 to 2030. Well, I can tell you that the first five years, almost nothing happened and yeah. that people were aware of it, that it existed and, uh, in the U.S., by the way, people still are not so aware that the SDGs exist because they have not much with the uh, United Nations, as you know. And that is so. Uh, but now it's it's coming. Yeah, people are, are beginning to talk about it more and to think about it more. And besides that, we are 
kind of late, you know. We are kind of late to 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 uh, save humanity. Yeah. Because it's the planet will go on. The planet we will not kill the planet. Yeah. But so you mentioned books. What were the? Tell us about the books that you've written or are writing. Well, you know, when I was, um, um, my first book is called "Rip Off Your Necktie and Dance." And, Rip off your uh, necktie and dance. Yeah, sounds yeah. interesting. Is, uh, it, it became a management book of the year in two thousand seven and sold a hundred thousand copies, and it's uh, it's it's now sold out. So it's going in print. It's going to go in print again. It's now thirteen years later, and that is um, about how do you run a creative, inspirational company, and how do you treat your people? It's actually almost an HR. Uh, uh, human resource, but I would call it human being management instead of human resource management yeah. uh, book. And that is, um, so that, that is my first book. My second book is not translated in English, uh, but is actually a follow up of that first book, Rip of Your Necktie and Dance. And my third book was called Sustainability at the Speed of Passion. And, um, at that time I was running a small public company that was in 10 countries. Um, and that was, uh, and that's where I tried to really bring in uh, a whole sustainability program. And there I saw that if, if it's not in you, you know, Jen, if it is not, if you don't believe it, mm. uh, if you have no passion for it, that it's not going to happen. Mm. So sustainability at the speed of passion is, uh, uh, why do you change your company? Do you do it because the law tells you to? Or do you think it's normal? You know, Ben Cohen from Ben and Jerry's and, and Yvonne Chunard from, uh, from Patagonia, the company and, and, and Anita Roddick from the body shop. Mm. They had an intrinsic in, in, they were driven by their heart, uh, that they thought that it was normal to run a company in a way that they did. And, um, that is the passion. So sustainability at the speed of passion describes that uh, if you really believe it, if it is really your way of living, yes, then you can make a company. And my final book came out uh, about four months ago, which is, I think, the best book I ever did. It's called Once Upon a Future. And, uh, and Once Upon a Future is a... Um, it's also translated in English just two weeks ago. It was finished, and that is... Uh, so it's not launched yet in yeah. English. And that is about, um, you know, uh, what a, a holistic description of the world that we live in. Yeah. So the chaos that we see, the <clears throat> technology that is exponentially growing, the ecology, the world that is exponentially deteriorating, and how is that going to influence uh, the the trend? How how does that determine the transformations that we see? Like now, in the, 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 we see many transformations in the world. The thinking about food is changing. The thinking about the planet yeah. is changing. The thinking about how to treat people is changing. So we see a lot of big transformations going on. And people get confused by that. So, so what's going to happen? What is happening? So the chaos that we have in the world is huge. And um, so two years ago, I started to work to do a lot of study in that. And I it took me two years to write. Once Upon a Future as a book. So that is, uh, um, and it taught me a lot. Yeah. Well, that's what they say, right? If you want to learn, then 
also start to write and you know yeah and by the way yeah talking yeah talking about books just a new book came out i think a couple of weeks ago it's called better business yeah better business and better business is a book the subtitle is how the b corp movement is remaking capitalism okay so so you write that book that that book is written by it's about the b corp movement it's written by a professor at Cornell University. Okay. His name is Chris Marcus. Chris Marcus. Okay. But you recommend yeah. reading that book, certainly if you're wanting to get into business or start companies yeah, or if, just if, improve if you, your business. Yeah. yeah. If you're in the, if you, if you are, the once upon a future is written for everybody. Yeah. You know, for my mother of 86 or for my children who are young, yeah. They um, uh, and and what the journalists in the Netherlands have said in their uh, in their comments, they said, well, actually, everybody who who goes to university, who starts his or her study at the university, should first read Once Upon a Future because then you have an overview of how the whole world is changing and what's going on. And yeah. Is, uh, but if you uh, Jen want to start a company and if you want to know about what kind of what does that mean. Then the B Corp movement remaking capitalism is also a great book. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. So you spoke earlier about your vertical farming. You briefly mentioned that. So that that sounded like a very quick sort of flash in a pan mention. So just tell us about this. Yeah. Well, you know, if you talk about food and and uh, the changing concept of Lane, food, I have to actually interrupt you. How are you? I mean, you, it just sounds like you've got so many, as many of my guests on the show say, plates in the air spinning. Yeah, so many things. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, I know. I, I have a piece of paper on the wall in my office where on which I, uh, I, have, I can see what all the activities are that I'm doing. <laughs> uh, uh, so I, I can still remember it myself. But you know they all are linked together. So uh, it is um, if I do speeches, which which I do twice or three times per week, it is it's all about the same topic. So uh, my board memberships in companies, but also the board membership in in B Lab, uh, it's all connected. So sure. the fact that this a company came to me and said, Lane, we are building up this. Uh, we're setting up vertical farms in Europe. Can you help us? Is actually a logical for me. It it is it is in the middle of that ecosystem that I live in. It's an ecosystem that I yeah that I like. I <clears throat> I have no ambition anymore, Jen. I'm now 62. I have no ambition to run a company. Yeah. You know I. Uh, but I have a lot of experience and a big network all over the world. So I can help people to, um, who want to, uh, create a better world with their businesses. I can help them to connect, to get funding, to, uh, uh, to, to get a strategy right. And I've, uh, on my farm in France, my, uh, which is a very old farm, as you can imagine, because there's a castle on the land as well. And the house that we live in on the farm is a thousand-year-old house. So on that farm, I have uh, at least 10 times per year a management team from a company visiting, doing a strategy session there, 
and I help them with that. But they they all have to be in the the same field. You know, it's not just a company. There's those are all companies that are working that want to become more sustainable, that want to become a B Corp. So it, it's all the same. You know, it's all. Uh, so it seems like it's a very diverse uh, range of activities. But I, at least I hope, Jennifer, that they um, that they're all connected with the, the same uh, dream of building a better world. Yeah. And that and that's what. Um, so it's not. Uh, it's it's not so different, you know. It's uh, no. I mean, it's you so saying it's 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 all based on the same principle and the same goal and the same understanding. Yeah. So you can literally just dip your, it you know, it's just dipping your toe and your knowledge, you know, from one to the other because it's all connected and related. Obviously, your your artificial intelligence company is in the process of becoming sustainable, fully sustainable. Yeah, but, but they are doing. You know, in AI, in artificial intelligence, you have a whole community which is called AI for good. Mm -hmm. That's how you write it, an A and an I and then a four and then good. So AI for good is a movement in the world that is using technology to help improve people's lives. And that is, um, you can imagine that uh, the, the, this company, Bolesian, is doing projects in Africa using AI to help farmers, poor farmers who only have a cell phone, everybody has a mm. cell phone there, to um, to get better information for their crops, uh, there, to have better information about uh, schooling. And um, so they do projects there using their technology to uh, help people uh, uh, create uh, their lives. And they, they are doing an event now called the AI for Good Conference, and they invite other AI companies. Because you also have companies who use that technology only for their own good, like Facebook. Or uh, because, in my opinion, Facebook is a kind of a criminal company. I don't like them um, at all. You know, it's uh, they use technology. They become uh, only a very small people becomes rich using information that is owned by others, you know. <laughs> and then, so it is, that model will also stop at a certain point in time, you know, because already you see all over the world, uh, uh, cooperatives of data owners that go to companies like Facebook and say, well, hey, Facebook, you're using my data. When are you going to pay me for that? Yeah. Well, nobody's paying you for your data. So everybody's using your data. It's your data. It's not theirs. And that is so, uh, um, so, and that, that, so you see changes there. You see companies that are coming up to change that. You see people mm. that begin to realize uh, my my children are my five children are between 19 and 32, and and uh, so they're all millennials, and they are nobody likes Facebook, you know. They all think, what is this crap information that they're sending around? What is this? Yeah. And it's going to stop. And when they were younger, they liked it, and they were almost addicted to uh, their phones and their computers. But now I see a change there. I see a change in young people. Thinking, well, what what is this crap? What is this fake news? What is this? Yeah, and yeah. Uh, so there is, uh, I foresee over the coming years more pushback mm. for those kind of companies, and I think they feel it themselves as well. You know, they it's it's they're also changing, and that is um, so. I'm hopeful. So, I mean, what's based on that, right? Because so many, and I want to go back now after this question. I'll go back to you know just 
finishing off what I asked you about the vertical farming and exactly what it is and what you're doing there. But I mean, you're talking so passionately about, you know, social media and Facebook and let's face it, um, the most people that are listening right now have their, their, their toe dipped in, in, in one of them, whether it's Instagram or, or Facebook, of course, they're the same. Um, but YouTube, um, LinkedIn, okay. LinkedIn's regarded as a more sort of professional platform, uh, which it is. Um, but certainly most people have their toe dipped in either Facebook or, or YouTube. Um, what, what do you suggest then for, since we're also talking about business owners, B Corp and, and sort of that element, uh, what should people do to, to get out there, to get noticed, to get, uh, to get business, to, you know, get a following? Well, um- I, I'm not sure I understand the question. Well, face, Facebook and Instagram are used a lot also in business. Yeah. They're used a lot to market products, to market services. So yeah. you talk about it not being ultimately a sustainable platform. It's not going to last. Well, I, I think it's will. Uh, there will be other platforms coming in. You know, Facebook, there was a time that Facebook didn't exist, you know. There was a time that Google didn't exist. Uh, there was a time that IBM was the big company and there was a time that, uh, that AT&T was the big company. So there are all waves of new companies. The life, the average lifespan of a company is shortening and shortening all the time. So it's, um, there will be a, for sure, uh, and I don't know what kind of company that will be, but I think, uh, there is a big appetite for a new kind of platform that is more, uh, objective that is more fair that is uh, owned by the people and not by a very few com- yeah. people who all of a sudden uh, own 150 billion and they think that that is normal because it's their money and they have done it all like Jeff Bezos and they those people they think they're caught you know they did they, they they really think they made that money by themselves they they don't think they don't realize that they made the money because of the society that they live in and that the society has, has made it happen, not they. And that is, um, they had an idea and that is, uh, but, but you know, the, 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 the fact that, that we live in a world where we think it is normal that, that six people in the U.S. own as much money as the 50% in the United States that is the poorest. The fact that we don't don't uh, start to fight that obscenity and that is um, is, is is strange and that is uh, and that will not last. You know, you see all over the world. I've been traveling in Chile, in South America, Latin America last year. You see protests all over the world. People don't accept it anymore. You know? People mm. think this is it. This is nonsense. Sure. But so, okay. So I have my company, right? I've got my platform. I've got to use the tools that are available to market. Use the tools. Use them. I cannot give any other advice. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm a LinkedIn. I think is a little bit more professional than Facebook. Of course, there's nothing professional about Facebook, but Mm. on Facebook, I, 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 so, yeah, when I put my, when I do my podcasts with people, I put them on Facebook as well to communicate. But yeah. for the rest, I, uh, for the rest, I don't use Facebook and Twitter much, uh, either, but I, uh, because I have my own networks. But so you, yes, use what there is, but, but realize that there will be different, realize what it, what it is that you're using. That's the first step. 
don't think it's normal. Don't think that Facebook is a normal. Uh, and and as you know, if you look at the 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 documentary, uh, the what was it called? The social dilemma. The social dilemma. Dilemma. Yeah, that that makes you think, and it, it opens your eyes. Sure. How 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 bad it is that the world that we live in that people think I have information and I and I know what it is uh, well your information is yours it's made for you and mine is mine and that it, and it's different and and the fact and that's how it starts uh, it starts with the realization that something is not okay that something is wrong doesn't mean that immediately this will change mm. and we'll have other mechanisms so yeah what other mechanisms should you use well I think uh, Newspapers, newsletters, uh, uh, your own networks. Uh, yeah, you, you're not dependent on Google. Yeah. Well, you need to. Yeah. There's need- also different. There's, I'm, I'm not using Google. I'm using. Uh, I'm using. Uh, let me let me let me pick it up. I'm using uh, when I open my Firefox. It starts with. Uh, um, with, yeah, some people have Google as their starting mechanism. I start with, uh, um, do you have yeah, one that that's private that no one can detect what you've been searching? Yeah, There's no, yeah, it is there. There are, um, search engines that don't collect your search, uh, patterns that yes. don't keep anything. Start page is the one that I use. And start page is one of the biggest one that it's in the US and in Germany. And you now also have start mail because people who use email should realize it's like a postcard in the past. If uh, your message on it can be read by every postman. Yeah. And, 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 and your email is, is also open if, if people want to, to, uh, hack it. So start page and start mail are tools to, um, to protect your privacy a yeah. little bit. Yeah. So let's go back to this, uh, to just briefly, you know, the um, vertical farming. So are you in, are you in full production? Are you supporting farmers who are vertically farming? No, no, we are building up our own farms. <clears throat> and that is, uh, so it's, um, it's a fund that we're building to uh, set up our three first vertical farms in uh, Toulouse, Madrid, and uh, and uh, Milan. And who's we? A group of people, business okay. people. Okay, so you with a group of people. So yeah, it's um, called Urban, Urban Health Farms. Okay. So if you go to www.urbanhealthfarms.com, you see the whole website. Yeah. And um, Lane, I I know what vertical farming is, but maybe just briefly explain what it is. Well, if you have now, for example, uh, take salad. If you go to a farm and where they plant salad, you have land, flat land, and on the land you have the salad. And that is, uh, so there's just so much salad you can put on the land. Well, two things happen then. You, if you have salad all the time, you, um, uh, it's not very good for the soil if you have a monoculture on it every time the same. And, uh, and you need a lot of water. And, uh, and pesticides. Well, now, if you take that into vertical farming, you don't have one layer of salad. You have eight or ten layers on top of each other. <clears throat> that is one. The second thing is uh, the, the amount of water that you need, uh, it's called a hydroculture, uh, is, is about 20% of the amount of water that you 
would use in the other uh, in the normal farming. And then <clears throat> there's hardly or no pesticides being used. And um, and you do it with artificial lighting uh, quite often. Not not necessarily, but quite often it's used uh, for um, for vertical farming of artificial yeah. light. So I mean, and it's kind of like these shopping trolley, this the, those racks. It's like racks, and and the yeah, like yeah, the vegetables yeah. are grown on these racks. Yeah, yeah, and that is um, so. And you can, and that means that you don't need soil anymore, mm. and you can put them in the middle of a city in an old uh, uh, factory warehouse that is, or uh, yeah. yeah, or whatever, in an old office building that uh, you can put it anywhere, basically. Well, but yes, I do. Good. I do question the full nutritional value of this. Oh well, it is. There is no question about that. Yeah, and that maybe maybe it seems like the full nutritional value, but nutritional value is the same. And 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 because no pesticides are being used, it's healthier. Yeah, and you don't need as much water. Yeah, to use it's not necessarily cheaper though. So it is not always cheaper. So. Uh, uh, but it is uh, that's the same as organic. <clears throat> organic food is also not always cheaper. But then, then the question is, what is cheap? You know, if you um, if you take oil, if you tank, if you go take your car, to, you go to a gas station to tank gas for your car. Mm. You think that the price that you of the gas is the real price, but the the CO two pollution is not included. The protection of the oil when it comes uh, on ships. From Saudi Arabia, uh, the military protection that those ships get is not included. So the oil on a gas station is is the most heavily subsidized product that we that we know on the planet. Yeah, and that's uh, but we don't we don't realize that. So the the rea- what is a real price is is a whole different topic. So if you if you uh, if you think that the the price of a product from vertical farming is higher. Then you should also include the price of the transportation mm. that the other products have or the waste. 50% of all the food in the world that is being produced on the land, on farms, is being thrown away. It's wasted. Yeah. 50. 5 0. Yeah. And that, that, that there is enough to feed 600 to 800 million people that have not enough food. Yeah. It's almost enough to, to, to solve the whole. Uh, food problem, which is SDG one or two, I think it's one of the biggest problems of the planet. Yeah. So I mean, you talk about everything so fluidly, and so I mean, you, and you have such a strong voice, you know, for sustainability and and for saving the planet. I mean, that's like being the biggest sort of message coming across in our conversation. I mean. Like, and you, it just seems you actually made a comment saying, Jen, you say, you know, that this happened and that happened and it it seems so easy. And obviously then at the beginning of the conversation, you spoke about the fact that you actually wanted to become an archaeologist, but you went into accountancy because, you know, there weren't really jobs at that time and certainly archaeology. But, you know, what about the rest of your journey in life? Like, has it been an easy journey? Because it just sounds like, oh, I acquired that company, I started that company and it's, yeah, I mean, what what have been your yeah your challenges in this process of acquiring all these companies, and or do things just come to you easily? No, no, no. It's good that you ask me because it. <laughs> well, if that that's how it sounds. Well, you're a good salesman, Lynn. <laughs> yeah, it's not how it went. You know, it is um, uh, because I was. 
in my first companies, I was always working because I was so, uh, you know, in 85 to 96, something like that, I, I divorced because I was always working. So that is, that was, that was a very bad and very sad experience, uh, in my life. I've, I've had companies that went down the drain that were very sad. I've had people that I trusted that, that, that I, uh, on hindsight could, shouldn't have trusted. So they, uh, so, you know, I lost money. I lost energy. I, um, I lost companies, people, friends, you know, so those, those things also happened. I, um, my father always said, well, you have to make sure that, that you're successful, let's say in just a more, a little bit more cases than, than when you're not successful. So the, the balance is positive. And, uh, but yeah, no, you know, I, I've had companies that, that didn't succeed. I have, have companies that I was too early with and, um, that I felt like a missionary, uh, trying to sell something that to know and, and nobody was interested. And when I never forget when I started the whole B Corp movement in Europe, the first ever company that we visited, uh, the CEO, I never forget that CEO. He was a typical CEO, as you imagine a CEO looks like, maybe a little bit of fat guy, big man sitting uh, in his big office. And, and, and he said to us, now, Smoking. Name, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> tell me, he said, tell me, why should I be a B Corp? And I said, you know what? Don't be a B Corp. You know, whenever, if you don't want it, we'll finish our coffee and then I will leave because there are thousands of companies in Europe that want to become a B Corp. And if you are not, I'm not going to sell anything to you. Let me know when you're ready for it. And that is, uh, and then we left, I left mm. and that is, uh, and, but now, uh, and people didn't know what I was talking about. Like when I did AI in 1985, people had no clue what it was. And so I've had many challenges and many things that went wrong or didn't go as I would like to. Uh, I've, I've been often uh, in situations that I was, how do you say that, a little bit um, on the point of stopping with something, you know. It's, um, but I, I've learned that uh, an entrepreneur, uh, there's an important word for an entrepreneur, and that's perseverance. Mm. Don't stop. Go on. Yeah. But then again, I also learned, you also have to learn that there can be moments that you should stop, you know, that you, because if you stop, it's not necessarily a failure. If you stop with something, it's also a, a beautiful moment of a new beginning. And that is the... Uh, so, but, but yes. So when is that, when, when was that for you? Where, where did, where did you see that point in your life where you did actually have to get control of the situation and stop? Yeah, no, yeah, I, I, um, on several moments, you know, I, I, but one example is I, I ran a company in the field of, um, solar systems called Solaris and we had shareholders and, and two of the shareholders were, yeah, you know, it was a super sustainable company building solar systems. And but two of the shareholders, uh, just didn't give a shit about sustainability. They only wanted more money and more influence. And, uh, 
And that was such a battle with them that at a certain point in time, this was about three years ago, I said, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I leave. I, I don't want this negative energy in my life. But I, how, I mean, just because, you know, this, like you say it from a, you, you're telling me the story, but it's very, it's, it's, a, it's distant, the story, right? But we've got people listening who are business owners and they might be in this situation where there's this inner conflict going on, you know? So, I mean, just to paint that picture a bit more clearly, like what was it? Were they wanting to get more money from the customer or what exactly did that look like that they didn't give, as you said, a shit um, and you did? Like, well, if, if, you, if you want to build a company that cares, that is uh, sometimes you just want to invest more money into um your market development, uh, your people development, your product development, and if you then have shareholders that 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 first of all don't want to let you run the company because it's your baby, mm. and don't want don't believe don't have the same set of values as you do, um, and and give you the feeling of negative energy. And you feel that. I don't have to explain that to people. Yeah, yeah. People feel it. You feel it in your gut. You think, well, this is not right. Then sometimes you have to say, well, goodbye. I'm leaving. I'm going to do something else. And that is painful. And that is very difficult for an entrepreneur. Yeah. Very difficult for an entrepreneur to leave his or her baby and to go off and to do something else. And sometimes it takes you six months and uh, uh, before you have the energy again to pick up something new, it's, it has been such a horrible uh, disillusion mm. uh, that that you um, and I've been going through that maybe two or three times that I've that it took me six months sometimes to to get my energy back. Yeah, and that is uh, and to pick myself up and to uh, and to be able to become enthusiastic for new ideas again. Yeah, um, and that is. Um, but on hindsight, that was always then good. Sometimes not at the moment when it happened. But on hindsight, I would say, well, now I'm in a, I'm living a life where I'm happy again and where I'm uh, uh, most of the time surrounded by positive energy instead yeah. of negative. And that is so. So if if you feel negative energy, say goodbye to that. Leave. Yeah. That is. Um, and sometimes you're being helped by 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 that. By sometimes people that are in a job. That they don't like um, are fired, and that is, uh, and I, that's what I sometimes also call a blessing in disguise. You're fired from a job that actually you didn't like, but you were too scared to leave yourself, and that is, uh, and then after a year, you 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 um, you feel you feel good again, and you think, well, my my life is starting. It's like a divorce a little bit, you know. Divorce is painful and sad and not nice for children and. And, and for friends and for your whole life and your health. But, but quite often, uh, you end up in a new relationship that makes you happy again. And it's the same as companies. Mm. So, I mean, like, what's your, you talk so much about business and, and, you know, and really what the drive behind business should be. Um, and we, we understand your life, your farm, your, you know, all these businesses you've been starting, um, your um, AI business sort of running in the background the whole way through. Um, what, like what for you further is, 
like the meaning of your journey here on earth? Like, do you have a, an idea about that? Have you had time to reflect on that? Um, why am I doing this? You mean? Yeah. Why? And you know, yeah. What's my purpose here? Is, is there more to it than what you're saying, you know, just in terms of companies should be sustainable and, you know, really try and promote that? Like, do you feel a, a deeper sense? Have you had a chance to connect with that at all? Well, I want to, I, I want to leave something behind. Mm. I'm not living a life just to live. Nobody's living a life to live. People are, people are here with a purpose. You know, we are here a flash of a second. If you look it into the light of history and time and, uh, you come and you go. And so, uh, we are not here to consume only. So my, that is just, so what, what you ask me now is so to me, so logical. Hey, come on, man, use your talents. Use your talents to make something good. You know, we, the, we have a problem on this planet, you know, and the problem is huge. Because we are with too many people, we are consuming the planet like the, the, there's a limitless amount of food, uh, of resources, and, and there isn't a limitless amount of food and resource. So uh, we are, we are, we have no inclusion. We have a, we have a totally wrong division of money, of value, of, uh, so something is very wrong. Okay. So to, to, to hone that in again on the question, like to bring it back personally to you you want to like for you your bigger your part of your um your wish on this journey is to leave something behind no i'm not my wish i am leaving something okay. behind. I'm not thinking like that is my wish because i have i have created a community i'm very proud of that by the way of 800 companies that are changing and not small companies only eh? yeah also companies like the known there's hundreds of thousands of employees they're changing their 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 whole strategy and they're investing millions to 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 better treat their milk their farmers their suppliers to have healthier products so i am uh, uh with my books that go to hundreds of thousands of people I am trying to improve the world. I'm trying to help people to build companies that are conscious about the environment, yeah. that are conscious yeah. about people. So I'm, um, and that is what I'm spending all my energy on. Yeah. And, and why? Because I, I think it's necessary. I cannot live. How can people live on a planet and not care? My brother, who's a very intelligent man, uh, to give you as an example, uh, he's a very nice man. He's a very smart man. And he called me up just late and he said, Lane, I bought my new Range Rover. I said, but I thought you already had a car. And he said, yes, I have a car and his wife has a Range Rover and he has a car, a Tesla, and he has now bought a, a new car. I said, that's, so that's your third car in the family. I said, we have just sold one of the cars. So my wife and I, we have only one car left, an electric. And, uh, and, and so, and now you're buying a car. Why is that? He said, yeah, it's for the fun. And he didn't even understand why I was asking. So here we have this intelligent man who is a very nice man, who is my respected brother. And he doesn't know what I'm talking about. And uh, so when I'm talking about uh, how can you buy a third car? Yeah. We should, we should, uh, have you never heard of the concept of degrowth? 
we only talk about growth, but degrowth, uh, the economical degrowth is a whole theory. Uh, that, so he, no, he hadn't. And yeah. so, so there is a long way that we have to go and we have to realize that most people have no clue what we are talking about. That doesn't mean that they don't want to talk about it, but they just not, they, they just don't. Yes, they don't speak to people who... But, I mean, your brother knows you. Surely he knew that he was going to get that response from you. No, no, he didn't. He was surprised. Really? Yeah. I mean, I've only known you for two hours, and I I, I would never call you up and <laughs> proudly tell you that I've just bought a <laughs> Range Rover. Proudly tell me I bought an, uh, again, again a Range Rover. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't one. understand who your brother, who's known you for 60-odd years, has done that. And not yeah, and not expected yeah. the response. No, me too, Jen. Me too. I was also a little bit surprised by that. So it's uh, uh, and um, yeah, I because send, I mean, you becoming sort of as you said earlier, you've become an activist. You, you talk about the fact that your kids said, you know, Dad, you're becoming more and more of an activist. So I mean, ha- have you always had this in you since you were a child? Like, were you? Slightly different to your siblings? I think I was slightly different, but I was not so outspoken. I was actually, when I was young, when I was young, when I was young, I was talking when I was six or ten years old, I was very shy. You know, I um, I was always nervous to be, I'm still introvert, you know, although you wouldn't think that I, I, I'm not very comfortable to go to receptions, for example. I'm not very comfortable when I have to do small talk with people I don't know what to talk about. So when I'm on the stage giving a lecture, then at the end, I, I, I'd rather go home immediately. Yeah. So I'm not, uh, uh, but, but I'm not afraid to be on stage, but, but I, but I, but no, I've, I, I, but I have always had the idea that, that life had to have a, a purpose, you know. It and is, from when do you remember that you had that idea? Maybe when I was 10, something like that. Do you remember and, why or uh, in what circumstance? Well, not well, no, yeah. But when I compared, compared myself to other I, children in my school, and that is that, that just, yeah, didn't think much more. But it, I think it became, it had to do with history also. My, the teachers in my school when I was eight, I never forget that, um, one of the teachers took a, uh, a fist axe, you know, an axe that, that you, people in the stone age used to as a, as an axe, you yeah. know, they, they, that was an axe that they could held in, uh, in their hands. Mm. And that is, and he showed one that they had found and they gave it to me and, and the other children that was laughing and they didn't care. And I was holding it in my hand and I thought, well, I'm holding something in my hand, a fist axe that somebody created 10,000 years ago. So what would that person have looked? But what, so I realized something that the other children, well, they didn't even care. And that, and that stimulated me to also start to do archaeology when I was young. And I uh, started to dig and every Wednesday I went to the field and I started to, so, so I, um, placing things in, in a time perspective, um, has, because that is history. And sometimes people say, if you don't know your history, you can also not 
understand the future. Mm. And, uh, and that is, um, so it's the, 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 my thinking about the world and what, where we are and where we're going to is, is closely linked with my, I think with my, uh, interest and passion I've had since I was very young for the past. Yeah. And uh, so it's not, um, I've never thought about it this much, but, but it is, um, uh, and I've, I've never seen other children, uh, people, uh, when they attend, you want to play, you know, you're not interested into, into archaeology. Mm. And, uh, but I've always had a, uh, it has always intrigued me. And, people and tell me, live- do you, do you, like you talk about it now being a hobby, right? That you said that earlier. I mean, do you ever have this feeling of wanting to, just almost simplify your life with all these other companies and um and just you know go become an archaeologist now like it sounds like you financially yeah. could do it yeah that's what that that uh, simplicity of life um i i'm longing for a lot and i find it in my farming yes so uh, when I'm well, when you say on- farming, you mean on your farm where you're building, but not not the vertical farms, but the your your no no the farming. I I have a walnut farm, uh, in that farm in France. <laughs> and Lane, you're work- full of surprises. <laughs> yeah, and I work on the walnut farm. You okay, know, I, I have two tractors there, and I I sit on my tractors and I mow the land, and I uh, uh, so and I repair my tractors, so I'm. Um, and we harvested our walnuts. We have a couple of hundred walnut trees. And, um, so when I'm on the land, uh, on my own, uh, sitting on a tractor, sometimes mowing for five hours up and down, up and down. And well, it's, it's boring, but it's very relaxing for me to do that. And, um, it's kind of Zen. And that is so I'm, and that mix. Between being in the Netherlands in my office where I am now, going from meeting to meeting. By the way, I have to run to the next meeting. Yeah. But going from meeting to meeting, going from uh, yeah, is uh, and then two weeks from now going back to the farm where I have to where I'm then for where I'm building buildings and where I'm um, is a very good combination for me. Yeah. So then leading towards closing off, I mean. You said earlier, you know, why don't, you know, you said you want to leave something behind and you, you sort of even recorrected me again when I asked you the question again. And in terms of saying as a wish, you said, no, it's not a wish. It's what I'm doing. Um, so what about, you know, it sounds to me like you've had the resources also to go out there and really connect with your truth and, you know, just really start to, yeah, uh, give your, you know, make sure that your voice has an impact. But what about people who, you know, are never leaving their hometown, their parents are not well off enough to send them to the States or wherever to go study and get that international perspective. What about those people? How would you, and, and this is sort of a closing off question, like how would you advise these people who who also want to have a good world, they want to do what they love, you know, but they in a, a job that maybe isn't sort of connecting them with their truth. How would you advise them to make the most of their journey? Yeah. Yeah, well, it's interesting that you say that I've always had the, that I have the, um, uh, how do you, how did you call it? I have the um, resources the, or privilege? Resources, yeah. 
first of all, I'm coming from a very mid-class family, mm-hmm. not wealthy. So uh, my parents saved money to be able to send me off. And that is, um, so it was very, it was a big, big, big chunk of money for them. And, uh, I, and when I started my first company, I had nothing, nothing, time. I had my time. I've always thought my time is free because I, I have, don't have to pay myself for my time. So, um, when I started my first company, I was the secretary, I was the salesman, I was the trainer, I was the CEO, I was everything because I had no money to pay anybody. That is still possible. So you can still start companies if you are, you know, almost everybody has a cell phone and almost everybody has entrance into the world of knowledge, much more than it was 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the, Getting information, getting free information, getting getting knowledge is uh, is much easier to do now than it was before. And that is so. Um, if 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 you want to know what is going on in the world, who are those B corps? Who what is that? What does it mean? It's all free. You can all find that information for free. Who are they? You can all look it up. You can. Um, so. I would say, you know, educate yourself. Start with that. So start with reading about it, uh, listening to people, listening to podcasts like your podcast, Jen, and, and other podcasts. And, and um, it, because that is free. You know, almost all the documents that you need to, and then educate yourself about what is going on in the world. Who are those people? What, and, 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 and try to see if you become passionate about it and then, and then go to people, uh, you know, call them up and don't be shy. It's, it, I'm still talking about everything that is, that you can do yourself. So it's, it's in you, but then you can say, well, if, if nobody stimulates you, um, I, I, I know and I realize that there are people that have, much more difficult circumstances, maybe where they live, where they are born, where they're not stimulated. Because that, that is the stimulation by others is, is probably different for many people. But, but the, the way to gather information and to, and to educate yourself and to find your way forward is, um, is easier than ever. Yeah. And, uh, so, uh, so I would, I would say that, um, yeah, that it is. Um, uh, I'm I'm not so uh, privileged because uh, people say, say sometimes, yeah, but Lane, you have money to do this and you have money to do that. I said, well, no. And then young people say that to me when I give lectures at universities, but you have this and you have that. I said, not when I was your age. Yeah. When I was your age, man, I had nothing, 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 only my own time, my own energy. And that is still, I'm working. That's what I told my oldest daughter who had a company. And she, in the beginning, she said, I don't succeed. I don't succeed. I said, but you only work 20 hours per week, I see. And you, and, and she said, well, everything we have to sell through the internet. I said, no, you have to take your bicycle or your car and visit companies. Come on, work hard. And she said, how hard should I work? And I said, I work always. When I get up, I start. And when I go to bed, I stop. I work 120 hours a week. And that is, uh, and she said, but that is ridiculous. I said, not if you're passionate about it. Then it's not work. Then it's fine. Then it's a hobby. And that is how I 
uh, lived my life, I've always tried, not always successful, Jen, to be honest, but I've at least tried to, to live my life in a way that I think every day should be fun. Hmm. Not every day is fun, to be honest, but, but I, I, at least I'm trying to, to make every day fun because then 120 hours working is, is not, is not a problem yeah. because it's, it's your hobby. Yeah. It's, you like it. Yeah. You like what you do. When I had my first job at Philips, as I said to you, it was horrible. Uh, I worked 40 hours in my contract. It said you have to be here 40 hours a week. And I was tired at the end of every week, tired from working 40 hours. Then I started my first company and I worked always and I was never tired because yeah. I did it with a passion. I, I wanted to succeed. I liked it. Thanks so much for joining us on the show. Always inspiring, connecting with brave hearts and open minds and people that are, re- you know, really well educated and informed about, yeah, what's going on out there and, and, and mostly just how to contribute to making our journey and this world, um, yeah, a beautiful place to live in. So thank you so much for joining us on the show. And guys, it's now that time for me to introduce my next guest. So guys, my next guest on the show, her name's Debbie Ivins, brave heart this one. She's had a few things happen in her life that like all of us just catch us by surprise and we have absolutely no control over. Um, she lost her dad to, to suicide uh, she's suffered, um, illnesses that, uh, have, you know, just changed her life and she's had to really, um, yeah, just make a decision, you know, am I going to be in control of my life or, um, is this going to control me? Um, you know, she's really gone out there and is constantly striving to, to just make her life beautiful um, when in situations you don't have control over. And, you know, I think we can all just relate to this because we all go through things in life that we have absolutely no control over. And, and, you know, how do we, how do we deal with it? How do we make our lives beautiful um, when we are faced with circumstances? Um, Like for example, with her dad, um, and earlier on in her years when her parents also got divorced. So, um, you know, she shares her journey with us and she's done some really courageous things. So I'm looking forward to sharing her story with you guys. Um, as I always say, guys, share this on with friends. Sharing is caring. Uh, go to the website, subscribe once a week. You'll receive a super cool life story in your mailbox. Um, find me on the, on the socials. And also, if you need someone to help you mirror your story, let me know via the website um, under interview within. And if you need an interviewer, let me know as well. Also under book me. Guys, have an amazing week. And as I always say, see you on the flip side. In between your sheets breaking out in the best of ways and I'm back again on the street